He's gotta be stopped, and I'm going after him. I know I can find him. But to kill him, I really need your help. They catch you here, dead up graves. They'll put you away, and you'll never get out again. Come back to the house. Good evening, you're listening to Morningside FM, the podcast where we talk all things phantasm. Well, tonight, get your shovels ready, for my guest is none other than the author of Phantasm Exhumed, the unauthorised companion, and its sequel, Further Exhumed, The Strange Case of Phantasm Ravager. It is, of course, the one and only Dustin McNeil. Dustin, welcome to Morningside FM. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's fun to be, uh, yeah, to be I, here. I, I couldn't have not had you as a guest on this show. Um, your exhumed books uh, meant so much to me and were sort of inspirational to me in, in, in many ways that we'll, we'll get into uh, later. And I can't imagine that there are many uh, Phantasm fans with a PH out there who haven't read your books. Uh, but just in case, um, just tell the listeners a little bit about you. Well, I'm a Phantasm fan. I, I first saw Phantasm in high school, and I, uh, back in the earlier 2000s, I wanted to make a Phantasm fan site. And so I did. It was called the Phantasm Archives, and I still have it today. I launched it in 2007, and I still up, I updated it last week, and I, it's a blog that has just tracked news and yeah. information about all things phantasm. And after a few years of doing that, I, I wanted to do a, a larger tribute to phantasm. And so I set about writing a book and I wrote a book, my first book called Phantasm Exhumed, The Unauthorized Companion. And that was fortunately a, a pretty wonderful experience and a success. And several years later, after Phantasm Ravager came out, I, I felt so strongly about that movie that I, I enjoyed it much to my surprise, that I wrote a second <laughs> book just on it called Further Exhumed, The Strange Case of Phantasm Ravager. It was a fantastic book. They both are. In, in some ways, I enjoyed the second one even more because it was so unlikely. <laughs> because Ravager gets a cursory mention at the end of the first book because it was still in, in production, at the pre-production at the time. And we'll talk about that later, I imagine. But I thought, oh, may maybe that's it. But the, the fact that this divisive film got its its own book um i was i was absolutely delighted you know as as a fellow fan of that film but um just back to that first book uh initially uh i'd just like to read a little uh little quote from the introduction by by angus himself he says uh hallelujah dustin you pulled it off I don't know how many times these past decades since Phantasm appeared, I've been approached at conventions and other venues by individuals who tell me they want to do a book about Phantasm, and that's the last I ever hear of it. So obviously that wasn't the case with Exhumed. So what is it, do you think, about this project that, that you were able to finally <laughs> be the fan who said they were going to do a Phantasm book and did one? Well, I'll tell you, it's, I think most fans that would attempt a project like that would ask Phantasm's creator, Don Coscarelli, for permission <laughs> to do so. And that was never my prerogative. I was never asking anyone for permission because I had the arrogance to say that I'm doing this book, period. Yeah. And so um, I, I did eventually approach Don Coscarelli and uh, he 
took very he felt very strongly opposed to the book he did not want to participate he felt yeah. disrespected that i wasn't asking his permission and um <laughs> he declined to participate in a very strongly worded email and uh i that's why the book is the unauthorized companion yeah. and so i just uh with angus scrim and Kristen Deem and a lot of the cast and crew, you know, supporting me, I forged ahead and I still tried to write the most uh, thorough tribute I could to the, to him and his films and his life's work. And uh, I did it. I just pushed ahead. I guess, I think that's, you know, that's a lot of Don Coscarelli is the gatekeeper in Phantasm, yes. all things <laughs> Phantasm. And I've heard that, you know, phrase. it's funny. Before. <laughs> yeah. He he really is the con the control person, and if there's there's kind of a joke that the best way to kill a phantasm idea is to take it to Don, whether it's a <laughs> sequel or a comic book or a novel or an action figure or a merchandise, because for whatever reason, and we don't know the the criteria or the logic, but what Don Coscarelli approves and doesn't approve is anyone's guess. Mm, I love that, that the answer was basically audacity. Uh, and I'm very much with you yes. on that. I've always been one <laughs> to um, beg for forgiveness rather than to ask for permission because otherwise nothing would ever get done. <laughs> That's how I feel. And of course, you know, when the, when the, I, I, I speak a little critically of Don Coscarelli in terms of my book experience, but I have always been and remain a huge fan of him as a filmmaker. I think oh, he's, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't take it personally that I meddled into his franchise a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because it is his and franchise, you know. It is his franchise. And the funny thing is when when his no came in, and like I said, it was a stern no, mm -hmm. um, Angus Scrim was there to kind of pick me up and encourage me and motivate me and say, well, what are you going to do now? You, you still going to write this book? Well, you know, and, and that kind of uh, encouragement from him and also Kristen really carried me through because when you've got those two at your back, you can you feel like you can do anything oh i can only imagine yeah um well that was because i knew it was marketed as the unauthorized companion and i just i suppose naively assumed it was some kind of licensing issue because when i saw that forward from angus with you know such glowing praise and enthusiasm for the book and and such fondness for you clearly i thought oh this this is very much an endorsed approved project um so talking of angus um how and when did you first meet him at a convention, I assume? Well, actually, it was early 2007, and I had just launched my Phantasm website. And I thought wow. to myself, what would be great for a Phantasm fan site, which, you know, nowadays you would just have a Phantasm Facebook group. Yeah. But back in the day for a fan website, I thought, let me try and interview Angus Scrim. Oh, wow. And so I wrote him a letter in the mail. Wow. And he, I included my phone number and he called me back to respond and was so gracious and friendly. And we struck up uh, a friendship almost immediately that uh, quickly grew. And I, I met him later that year at a horror convention in New Jersey. And I'm looking at the autograph here on my wall that he signed for me. I, you know, I had him, everyone was taking him phantasm posters to sign. And I was thinking, what can I take him that's unusual? What can I get into autograph that's not run of the mill? And most, many of your listeners will probably know that Angus, before he was Angus Scrim, was Rory Guy, who was yes. a, a, a Grammy award-winning yes. writer of liner notes. And uh, I got the album that he won his Grammy for and asked him to sign it both as Rory Guy and Angus Scrim. And Oh, wow. He was a fan of the website that I was doing at the time, the writings on it. And so the way he wrote it to me was, for Dustin McNeil, a writing colleague. 
That's incredible. How the biggest you... ego stroke I've ever gotten. Yeah, I've never yeah. forgotten it. <laughs> I mean, that was surely the the engine that that uh, <laughs> powered exhumed that uh, that endorsement. Yes, that's fantastic. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a massive thing having Angus in your corner, but just reading this book as a fan uh, because you know when I first heard about it I was so excited um couldn't quite believe that it existed you know? and this is something I've I've uh, talked about in previous episodes but obviously being uh, a fan in the UK where phantasm isn't as widely known and we don't have you know there have never ever been any kind of phantasm conventions or anything like that really over here um it, it always felt sort of at a distance for me and I knew that those fans were out there, vaguely. I had this sense of it. But this book kind of proved it for me. You know what I mean? That there were people who felt as, enthusi as enthusiastically about this franchise. So I was so excited to read it. But it, it really, really surprised me, you know, in, in, in a such a positive way about how in-depth it was. And obviously, you've, you've got this uh, introduction from Angus, but that's not the extent of his contribution. And... By and large, you've got virtually everybody who is involved in the films in the, in there in some shape or form. So I have to ask that: what was that like? The process of of chasing people down for it, and and you know, getting them to agree. Well, um, you know, I I interviewed over sixty people for Phantasmic Zoomed. I got most everyone. There were a few names that I didn't get that I had to just cry about, but. Uh... <laughs> You know, in doing that website, the Phantasm Archives, before the book, I really befriended a lot of the cast and crew before I did the book. So there were pre-existing uh, friendships there. Like I was yeah. I was pretty close with A. Michael Baldwin. And I, I, this is where I brag a little bit, but I actually, for the 2009, uh, for the 30th anniversary? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually got him back onto the convention scene. He hadn't done a horror convention in a decade. He had quit. He wasn't going to do them. And they were getting a, a gathering together of, of Bill Thornberry, Angus Scrim, Don Coscarelli, Kathy Lester, and Reggie Bannister. It was everyone but Mike. And I, oh, I personally wow. called up Michael Baldwin and I twisted his arm and I sat with him all three days at the convention and was kind of his, his handler assistant. And, um, you know, he would, he, so I, per I personally strong armed him back onto the convention scene and he's, he's done several dozen conventions, I think since then. So, you know, I had a friendship with Michael that way, Reggie Bannister. I don't think he's ever met someone that wasn't a friend. He's so friendly and oh, wonderful. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was for the main cast, getting them to do the book. It was as simple as asking them and they contributed interviews and answered questions. And it was wonderful for some of the, other people in the background, the supporting actors and the crew, I really had to do some digging. You know, I, I was able to get Ken Jones, for example, who was the caretaker yeah. <laughs> in the first Phantasm. And I was so surprised to learn that he had never done an interview about Phantasm before that. No one had ever wow. reached out to him or written him a, a piece of fan mail. And he had lost touch with everyone. And so it was wild. After a 30-year silence, you know, he's like... Oh, there were there were sequels, and they were you know there are fans, <laughs> and people like this. I mean, it was it was really cool talking to him. Wow, that's surprising as well because I know he had a very minor role, but in such an iconic scene 
Right. And he passed um, somewhat recently um, before he did. He himself, they brought him out to some conventions and he got to meet fans and sign autographs. And so he got to have a little bit of the of the glory that he had missed out on for so many years because, you know, fans are crazy to meet the first Silver Sphere victim. I mean, that's of pretty course. cool. Yeah. And didn't he have a cameo in Ravager? No, he didn't. But a oh. lot of people thought that because they, I know who you're talking about. That old man um, looked a lot like him. Yeah, I was. I, I'd read several uh, several places that he did. But I remember sort of looking out for him. I thought it, it must be that guy. I can't think who else it would be. But I, yeah, are, I didn't. Are you thinking of the guy that was had the walker that That's Reggie the saw in the hallway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that guy actually. Have you seen Bubba Hotep? Yes, yes, of course, yeah. So he, that man is the husband of the woman that was in the Iron Lamb. Oh wow! Bubba Hotep. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> it's all connected. You know, Don Coscarelli yeah. has his has his group of people that he likes to work with again and again. Yes, yeah. That's that scene in Ravager is so interesting because you can interpret it any number of ways. You know, who is Reggie seeing when he sees that man? Is he yes. seeing what he could become? become is yeah, he that, seeing a future version of himself. That was how I always viewed it. Yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, Ravager's fantastic, but we'll get onto that later when we talk about further exhumed. But um, you've already mentioned uh, Kristen Deem, who I had on the podcast quite recently. Um, but just for anyone who who doesn't know, uh, you know, she was she edited, I believe, both uh, Phantasm Exhumed and Further Exhumed, uh, and she provided so many wonderful photographs of sort of behind the scenes shots of of Angus. And I, I think I said this to her what I love about some of the shots she gets of him where he really seems sort of halfway between Rory and the tall man, you know, <laughs> she has his real knack for it. So what was it like working on this project with, with Kristen for presumably quite a few years? Yes, it was, it was, it was several years uh, and it was just wonderful. I cannot overstate Kristen's contributions to Phantasm Exhumed. She was such an incredible friend and guiding voice and, uh, provider of materials like research and things and, and of course photographs that yes, was yeah. so wonderful and uh, it was a joy getting to collaborate with her on it because my, my two main collaborators were of course her and Angus and they had been such close friends for so long that it really yes. just felt like a little three-person team uh, propelling that project forward and so it was it was just wonderful. Kristen's knowledge of phantasm and everyone in it and uh, you know the hard part was getting Kristen to admit to some of her contributions <laughs> to the series you know yeah. she designed props she took photos she took she she snapped what may be the most iconic photo of the tall man ever on phantasm 2 and never got credit for it it, yes. it went into the press kit and it is it's the I, ultimate I said, image of the tall man, isn't it? Across yeah. all the films, it's it's truly yes. iconic. Yes, and she it is her photo, and she's it's just never been acknowledged. And I sent her a year or two ago. I went online, and I just made a collage of like three dozen fan art recreations of that photo because that's how iconic it is. That when people yeah. want to depict the tall man, they depict that photo. That's yeah. That's how they see him in their mind. That's that's the, that's the image that that automatically springs to mind when you when you think the tall man. Um, I think but before... you know, I mentioned that, that Kristen took pictures of Angus and and uh, had made props and worked on the film. But her big contribution and the one I think she's probably most proud of and and least likely to brag about is having created Jebediah Morningside. Yes, I'm really hoping. And... I think we we before we started recording, 
we were chatting about the, the future of Morningside FM and hopefully next year there'll be another series where we cover the sequels in depth and I'm really hoping that Christian will join me for an episode or possibly even several episodes on Oblivion because I really want to know more about this but but sorry Dustin you were saying it came oh, in a her, dream. Her time on Oblivion could be its own could be its own, yeah her time on Oblivion really could be its own book but her her creation of that character is so rich in imagination and wonderful and I think the fans I mean, I don't know one person that watched Phantasm Oblivion and didn't walk away having Jebediah Morningside as one of their favorite parts of the movie. Yeah, instantly, instantly. Because it's so surprising as well, and it, which seems funny in hindsight because Jebediah has become such an integral part of the law. But when you're only used to the tall man and then suddenly he's offering Mike lemonade on the porch, it's, <laughs> it, it messes with your head. And especially, you know, I was only a, a teenager when that movie came out and it was before my family even had access to the internet. So I knew nothing about Angus Scrim or Rory Guy. I just knew this, this scary character in a horror film that I loved. So I didn't even know that Angus was such a, a kindly grandfather figure in real life. You know, I think a lot of fans obviously who had met him at conventions knew that, but I didn't know that. I had no reason... I had no idea what he would be like out of character off screen. So that was a, a real shock that first time when Mike rounds that corner. It really, in that true phantasm way of kind of discombobulating you, it's exactly like some of the things that happen in that first movie where you think you feel unsettled. <laughs> what is going on? And, it, and it, yeah, it's fantastic. Definitely. You know, Oblivion is, is such a special sequel to me. I enjoy Phantasm 2 and 3, but to me, Phantasm Oblivion is a step above. It's, Not because yeah. it has the effects or the, you know, the production budget, but because the story is so yeah. elevated. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of my goals with Phantasm Exhumed, is a lot of times with these horror movie franchise books, you'll get a massive chapter on the first movie, and then the sequels will get little tiny mentions. But with yes. Phantasm Exhumed, it was my goal to give almost equal attention to every movie there was no sequel that was going to get shafted with a with a mini chapter i wanted to go big on each one and that was so much fun getting to do that to just to dive into each phantasm movie with with detail and depth i was happy to do that and and proud of how it turned out yeah because i think you know so many sequels sequels so many franchises you know eventually get bought out or sold or you know, to the point where the studios are just churning out sequels just basically to keep hold of the franchise rights with no, you know, real concern for the, for the quality or for the fan experience. And I can see why, you know, so many reviews and podcasts, they'll talk about a classic film, uh, The Exorcist, for example, and then say, oh, yeah. And then there was this dreadful prequel in 2004. But what's what's <laughs> to say about that? And that's never been the case with Phantasm each film stands up on its own right and it they you know they all deserve that attention obviously we all have our favorites but they're all made with such heart and especially uh, oblivion but, but then again back to what i was saying earlier that's why i was so pleasantly delighted when you released further exhumed and i thought wow ravager's getting its own book uh, and i think even again when you listen to sh other shows talk about phantasm ravager is treated in that sort of oh and they did the sequel 17 years later but it, it, it wasn't very good <laughs> and you think no no it's such such an underrated film uh and they do it such a disservice i'm delighted at your kind words for further exhumed 
I, I, I'm so grateful because further exhumed, Phantas- the first Phantasm exhumed for me personally as an author was a great success um, yeah. in terms of reception and reviews and um, how many copies were sold in the special edition in the Kindle ebook. Yeah. Uh, it was it was really wonderful. And then I thought, well, let me do further exhumed because mm, people will love mm. that. And what I hadn't counted on was how many people didn't like Phantasm Ravager and didn't feel about it as I did because further exhumed only a small fraction of the people that read Phantasm Exhumed went back to read Further Exhumed. That's a real shame. I'd be meaning to ask you about that, about how, you know, if you had any reservations going into it on the strength, because I think- <laughs> You know, I've published, I was blind. I was blind. I thought everyone, I was, I misread the vibe of the fan base. I thought everyone yeah. was as delighted with it as I was. And I've published seven books now. My seventh book uh, came out um, a couple of weeks ago. And Further Exhumed, Zoomed is by far compared to it has nothing else that's even close my worst performing and worst received book and i i think a large part of it is because the fan base either doesn't get or just doesn't like phantasm yeah. ravager oh, that's such a shame i mean if it's any consolation it's you know it's one of my my one of my most uh prized uh possessions on my shelf i mean it really is fantastic oh come now i know it's true it's true and um in fact let me just find uh, in your introduction to it, actually, you said, if you enjoyed Ravager, then you may also enjoy this book as a celebration of the movie, which, which I very much did. Uh, but then you also went on to say, if you felt, felt let down by the new movie, then I hope Further Exhumed helps you discover a greater appreciation for it. Um, and, I, and I very much thought that reading it. I thought, yeah, I think anyone who, who kind of dismissed it or judged it harshly or unfairly must read this book and then they'll, they'll see it with fresh eyes. I think, but possibly, as you say, it was so divisive that maybe some people weren't even willing to read the book because they didn't like the film. I'm afraid that might have been the case. You know, I was really in a, I was not expecting to like Phantasm Ravager. I, you know, it took eight years for them to make Ravager from the very first thing they shot uh, in 2007 or 2008 to it releasing in theaters. And it went from a web series with, you know, that wasn't great yeah. And it transformed into a feature film. And Don Coscarelli and David Hartman, for and they have their reasons, but they play their cards so close to their chest mm. that many of their closest collaborators and colleagues had no idea what was going on <laughs> with the movie, with the story. Uh, and there was a real, they don't talk about it, but I'll tell yeah. you on a very direct firsthand knowledge, there was a real angst and anxiety in those eight years I can imagine. With the yeah. main cast. I mean, Angus um, Angus, on Phantasm 1 through 4 received a script at the beginning that he could read through and give notes on and occasionally mm-hmm. object to. You know, there's yeah. a scene in Phantasm 3 where Reggie uh, uh, the, calls... The motherfucker line, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. on Phantasm Ravager, that never was the case. Angus, there was, there was no script to give out because there was no script... It didn't exist in that form. And there came a point when it was transitioning to Phantasm Ravager, where Angus was just standing in front of a green screen with five or six co-stars that weren't there, that he'd never met. Oh, my God. Talking. He was delivering lines as the tall man that he didn't know the context of. Mm. And uh, it was a very, the opposite of a gratifying experience. I can imagine. It's It's not how he preferred to act. No. In a strange way, that reminds me of... um... I'm a big fan of the Lord of the Rings movies. And uh, I remember when they were making the Hobbit trilogy, there was a bit of scandal at the time 
because Ian McKellen was upset with the way they were filming it because of the height differences between he was playing a wizard and the dwarves obviously were made to look smaller than him. So they shot everything on two separate sets. So he was on his own with a green screen, not really knowing what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I think, yeah, him very much like Angus being a classically trained actor, you know, from a sort of a classical background. He said, no, it's not about green screen or having something in your ear. It's about interaction with the cast. And and it's funny that was blown up in the media about, you know, Ian McKellen has a, a tantrum on set and blah, blah, blah. But then I watched um, on the extended, you know, on the special features of the of the DVD when it came out, it wasn't a tantrum. He had, he was upset. You know, he had a little cry because it, it was, it was quite upsetting. He said, this isn't what acting's about. This isn't what I got in, into this business for. Um, so I can only imagine. Yeah, and, and like Lord of the Rings, probably Phantasm, it's not just another job for these actors. It's no, very personal no. to them. And so to not know the, the the context and the use and that interaction is important. And and I don't just, you know, also, and Don Coscarelli and David Harpin had their reasons, I'm sure, but they also, you know, they didn't communicate to the people they were working with. I remember mm. when the teaser trailer the very first preview of Ravager came out. Yes. I immediately phoned Angus and Michael and, and said, hey, this is great. This looks so cool. What do you think? And <laughs> they both said, there's a there's a trailer out. I, oh I haven't, I'd love, this is the first footage I've seen. I'd love to see it. Wow. And uh, they, they were, I mean, in the dark is really a, an appropriate phrase to apply. Mm, mm. But, you know, the movie, the movie came out and uh, I can't speak to... To their experiences but for me personally i had all of this shared anxiety with them yeah because yeah. of what i was hearing and i was delighted and of course the fact that that angus very sadly passed away prior yeah. to ravager i think may have colored the experience but even that aside it's i think it's a very poignant and heartfelt and genuine and nuanced and thoughtful movie i mean i really was ready to not like it but I I did like it. Same. I, I completely agree. Um, and at the risk of this sort of devolving in, into just a conversation about Ravager, um, I am planning at some point and dedicating several episodes just to Ravager. So if you're free at some point in the future to come back and talk all things Ravager with I'd me, love that. I would love that. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Let's let's do it. <laughs> I'm um, sorry. I can really get you on a, on a side trail. So no, no. Me. It's, it's, I think with these films, uh, it's inevitable, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but so we've been talking about, although I would just briefly say for any listeners who are, you know, if you're listening to a Phantasm podcast about Phantasm Exhumed, you're clearly a diehard fan. <laughs> this podcast yeah. is not for the casual listener. Um, but I know that there are some diehard no. fans out there who, who didn't enjoy Ravager. Uh, and all I can say is someone who really, really did love that film, please read further exhumed and it, i promise you it will give you a fresh perspective on the film read that book and revisit the film and i think you might be pleasantly surprised but um moving on from that talking of uh the phantasm 5 that we finally got in uh 2016 it was a long road to ravager and one of my favorite things that possibly my, my favorite thing about um your exhumed books was the amount of detail you went into about all the unmade sequels and, and the projects that never quite got off the ground. Things that I'd heard rumors of over the years, things like Roger Avery's Phantasm 1999, Stephen Romano's uh, Phantasm Forever. Uh, so what I was wondering was of all these potential phantasms that, that never saw the light of day, which, which one 
I was going to say, what's your favorite? That's not quite the right question. Which one would you most like to have seen made? Well, I'd like to answer that question with a preface, which is to say that it's <laughs> not the Roger Avery one. Um, and if you no. ever do an episode on that one, I would love to come on and talk a mad amount of shit about oh, that yeah. script. Let's do it. I've got a, I've, I've got, got a lot of thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, to answer your question, the version of Phantasm V that I most liked was written by Stephen Romano, yeah. who hardcore fans will know wrote the comic and co-wrote Don Coscarelli's Masters of Horror episode, Incident on and Off a Mountain Road. Yes. And um, it was called Phantasm Forever. Mm. And I thought that was, I don't think that script is leaked um, as much as I'd love for it to. Uh, it was the most thoughtful, character-driven, just a wonderful screenplay that uh, had so much enriching of the mythology in it, I felt. Mm. Whereas Phantasm's End, Roger Avery was all about explosions and zombies with yeah. pus-filled heads. You know, that's that's not Phantasm to me, but no. Phantasm Forever got back to Mike, Reggie, Jody, and the Tall Man. And it, it was told in four acts. Each act was in a different timeline. So it felt almost like an anthology that connected Mike Mike was conscious through all of these different time jumps, kind of like a multiverse deal. Yeah. And it was so, I just loved it. I thought it was really interesting. And of course, uh, fans will also know that that's the one that in 2000, wow, I can't remember what Seven? year it was. But, was it 2007? Uh, yeah, it might've been. Yeah. The, the, they did a, a table read of it with the main cast there, and they were joined by Ashley Lawrence, who played um, Christy from Hellraiser. Yep. And they basically filmed a green screen rehearsal version of the movie. They put in fake backgrounds and digital spheres. And uh, that's that's the thing that everyone's hoping Don Coscarelli will eventually release one day. We've, we've only seen a small clip, but it's just such a wonderful story that I, I, uh, that's, I gravitated to that one. Yeah, I'm... That's I'm, I'm tempted answer. to agree with you. I um, God, I remember seeing that footage. I was I was staying at a friend's house on holiday at the time. I remember being sat at their kitchen table and finding it on YouTube, and <laughs> probably frustrated them. I just sat there all day watching it again and again and again. Like, what are you doing? You know, what are you <laughs> but I think um, if I were to pick one, and this is a this is a weird answer, and it was this is a project that I had no idea existed until I read your book. And it would be Kate Coscarelli's Phantasm 2. I think simply because so little is known about it. And yet apparently a script existed and, and Angus read it. I'm so intrigued by where she would have taken it. I, I feel like that's the back to the future. What if that could have changed everything yeah, had it gone through? Because it's hard to imagine... You know, with most horror franchises, the main, the villain is the constant. Like with Hellraiser, yes. it's Pinhead in each movie and yeah. then a new set of characters. And it's hard to imagine Phantasm where the tall man is the only constant. But that yeah. might have been interesting to see alternately. Possibly. It's, it's interesting. And and I they were close to making that happen. Yeah. Yeah, I got the impression, you know, because Don at the time was not wanting to be typecast as a horror director. But I got the impression that he wasn't averse to it happening necessarily at the time anyway no not at all yeah yeah i can only wonder his and father uh, actually dak coscarelli even took out a full page ad announcing the production in variety and that ad shows up on ebay from time to time oh wow and that's what i loved the logo that you uh, reproduced in exhumed and it's sort of like the um 
how, how would you describe it? Like the Phantasm, the original Phantasm logo, it's kind of like chiseled in stone kind of I, I Yes, I logo. pulled that directly. Yeah, that's directly from the advertisement from 1980 wow, that they it, put in the uh, in Variety. Yeah, that's because they were going to, it was called uh, Phantasm 2. If it had a tagline, I can't remember, but that oh, they were going to do it in the same style, the, yeah. the artwork. You know, and there's also oh, the what if of what if they had made Phantasm 2 immediately after and it had been a hit and they didn't wait yes. 10 years to do a sequel. And um the movie had been a success in a way that it hadn't been because we all enjoy Phantasm, but we can't kid ourselves. It's not a runaway box office hit. It's not, no, no. you know, the most valuable top shelf horror property. And yet I think it has that great, you know, it seems a cliche to say that it's a cult hit and cult hit is sometimes a bit of a backhanded compliment. What cult means sometimes is that not many people like it, but with Phantasm, it truly is that kind of slow burner, you know, VHS store horror that kind of, it was word of mouth, you know? Yeah. Uh, I identified with something you said at the beginning of the conversation about how being in the UK, it can be very lonely to be a Phantasm fan. Right. Sorry, I think that's actually a lot of people's experience, even here in the States, because not everyone has seen it. And that's what made going online so special back before social media is yes. to go onto fan sites and message boards and connect with other people who love this movie. It's almost like a secret it's almost yes. like a secret that you're in on and other people know about. I got I got the tail end of that. I got into Phantasm just before social media really became a thing. And I remember going on sites like the Red Planet uh, and, you know, it's, you know, fan fiction before I knew what fan fiction was and that kind of, and it really felt special. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? That you feel, you know, everybody knows Michael and Freddie and Jason, but like, and people think, yeah, that film with the Silver Sphere, I think I saw that once, but they don't know there's a sequel, but it feels, it almost feels like it's yours. And when you connect with somebody else who is as enthusiastic about it, it does feel really special, doesn't it? It does. It really does. It's That's the kinship of, of horror fandom and yes. a lot of other fandoms. And I dig it. I've just been leafing through Exhumed and I found uh, that quote. It was, uh, it's everything you ever feared and more. I like that. Very much in that if this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's rich. <laughs> I feel like they should have used that as the tagline for Ravager just to troll the the, the fans who hated it. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. But maybe not. Uh I'd say what talking of unmade things, and this isn't quite an unmade, but it but it's a never was. Um, I would have basically said before reading uh Phantasm Exhumed that. Phantasm Oblivion was, was the perfect film and could not have been improved on in any way until I saw uh, the letter from Dunsmere House and Gardens uh, granting them permission to oh, film. Oh, can you yes. imagine if the Jebediah Morningside scene had actually been shot at, you know, real Morningside? I mean, that would, I'd have. I'd have lost it. <laughs> I agree with everything you just said. That is a that is a missed opportunity. As perfect yeah. as uh, as that sequel is, that would have just enriched it so much more. And of all the tantalizing sort of might have beens, that was the one that I almost wished I didn't know. <laughs> because now I can only imagine how great it could have been. Um, and of course, I wish that Don would have gone back for Phantasm Ravager because it, it was great to get Angelus Abbey back. Yes, I do love Phantasm it. Gorgeous location. Three and four, yeah. four, but. The Dunsmere is just, it's a holy ground for Phantasm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've never been, but that is a real bucket list thing for me. I think it was in Phantasm, it might have been in Stephen Romano's 
Phantasm Forever script, but it could have also been in Roger Avery's, but I don't think so. Uh, someone wrote in one of the unmade scripts that on the Red Planet, Mike and Reggie are tromping through the Red Planet and they come across Dunsmere on the Red Planet, but it's floating. Like, <laughs> it's like this ethereal compound on the Red Planet. And it, that would have been a lot of fun to see. Wow. Yeah, that's bizarre, but but yeah, I love that. Um, I did love the little promo uh, for Ravager that they shot with Don, just Don and Angus in front of the house uh, reciting uh, Jody and Reggie's lines. Oh yes, that was just great. Before. Yeah, that was emotional. And even though we didn't get to see Dunsmere, I, I did appreciate um, when Reggie confronts Angus in in you know in the space gate room and he says, you know the place is Morningside, the year is 1979 or whenever it was. I did, we did a little punch the air moment. I thought at least I can imagine that they're in that room in that house. You know? Yeah, that was going to be, that scene was originally going to be, that was shot in 2007 or eight, and it was going to be the ending to the web series. The web wow. series would culminate with an appearance by the tall man. And that is, that is a great scene, I think, between those two characters. I would like it. Yeah. I mean, we're going to go down the Ravager rabbit hole again, so maybe we should rein that in. But yeah. I, God, like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I started it. <laughs> but yeah, all of Angus's moments, all his lines are just fantastic. And it's the fact that we got that, but we will save this for another time. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, yeah, time is running on. But, uh, and, and again, I can't emphasize enough how much fans of Phantasm Exhumed should read Further Exhumed. Uh, and on the subjects of which, there is um, there's a brilliant little uh, section at the, at the end of the book, how to drink like you're at a Phantasm premiere. Uh, and there's a list of, of Phantasm cocktails. I've got to ask, who came up with those? And have you tried them all? I've tried a couple of them. I, I don't know who came up with them. Those were drinks that were actually served at the Hollywood premieres. Oh, um, wow. For Ravager. They, I actually, uh, Kristen Deem attended one of the, I think maybe the Egyptian theater premiere. And yes. she mailed yeah, me <laughs> a, a little mint drink menu. And so oh, wow. I love it. I just... Um, that's incredible. And, and the funny thing is, I, I live in, in Lancashire in northwest England, uh, and there's a, a Phantasm beer listed here uh, by the Acorn Brewery, which is a brewery in Yorkshire in sort of just northeast from where I am. And, and I thought, how bizarre. You know, I've talked about the, the, the lonely isolation of, of being the UK fan. Uh, and there's this this brewery just one county away brewing a phantasm ale, which I had never heard of before reading your book. And I've actually um, I managed to get the actual pump clip, you know, that they they, they put on <laughs> on the bar that's uh, displayed proudly on my shelf. And I actually um, I I sent an email to my local pub and because they sometimes uh, have Acorn Brewery beers on the bar, and I said do you know anything about this phantasm beer? And they said, oh yeah, they only do it once a year for Halloween. And I said, uh, will, you, will, will you get a few barrels and put it on? They said, oh, and I explained about the podcast and the films and they were really into it. They said, oh, brilliant. Yeah, so my local pub this Halloween will be serving uh, Acorn Brewery's Phantasm Ale. And that's down to Exhumed. Cheers to that. That's yeah, great. Really cool. Um, but no, I haven't tried any of the cocktails, I must say. Uh, they all sound kind of weird, but <laughs> the phantasm. You know, I have to say, even before, um, not because of Phantasm, partly because of Phantasm, I guess, but, you know, Dos Equis beer is actually, the amber is a yes. really easy to drink beer. That's a tasty it, drink. It really is. And um, 
and this is a funny thing actually i've mentioned this before on the, on the podcast but i use this phrase way too much when it comes to phantasm right? i use the phrase holy grail way too much but some things are you just want them for you like um I wanted to read Kate Coscarelli's novelization for 20 odd years. That was a holy grail. Uh, finding the Avery script was a holy grail, albeit a slightly disappointing one when I did read it. But, you know, sometimes like just imagining the thing and and, and wanting it and trying to get hold of it, you know, is, is almost as enjoyable as, as it's the very hard itself. to get the Kate Coscarelli novel. I know. I finally got one earlier this year. It wasn't cheap, but absolutely worth it. It's cherished I can't imagine. in a special box wrapped up in. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was funny because my, my, uh, I have another podcast called a, a book at breakfast where we just talk about a different book each month. And uh, my book at breakfast co-host Mark Charlesworth joined me to discuss the Kate Coscarelli novelization because he hadn't read it. Uh, and he said, can I borrow it? I said, no, <laughs> I said, it doesn't leave its special box. So what I did was I just had to take pictures of the pages and scan oh, wow. them and send them over to him that way. <laughs> that's effort. You know, that's yeah, one of those things that I said at the beginning of the podcast that no one knows why Don Cosk really makes the decisions that he makes because yeah. there's absolutely nothing stopping him from re-releasing that novel or putting it on ebook or doing any an audible adaptation. So that is an incredible read that is wasting yeah, away was, for no good reason. I think partially is it the the seems a silly thing silly word to use but is it the magic of having this kind of rare thing out there uh, that fans cover i don't know but yeah it'd be wonderful if um if everybody could have a copy and the the, the, the one and only time i ever met don actually there was a q a and that was my question for him i said it wasn't really a question it was a request of, please please re-release the novelization because i really want to read it um but he said sadly there were, <laughs> there were no plans to do it but i got there in the end um and another uh, a holy grail or a holy ale uh was doseki as silly as that sounds because you can't really buy it over here oh, no. uh, and people talk about it so much and you, you know that's the, the image of jody swigging it on the porch and as uh, somebody who you know who does enjoy a nice beer um that was it was a bit of a you know i'm not gonna say bucket list because that's silly uh, <laughs> but it was you know definitely something i had to check off as a as a diehard fan um so I got I got some a few years ago from an obscure place down south, but um, uh, very recently to celebrate the the launch of this podcast, I I imported a whole crate of Doseki. <laughs> um, oh, nice! That's that's totally, how you do it. Yeah, totally worth it. In fact, I've got one chilling there to um, after we've recorded this and my sort of little victory beer afterwards. It's probably still morning where you are, isn't it? <laughs> it's just you know, starting to go a, dark here. <laughs> a lot of people tell me talking to me makes them want to drink. So I believe you. <laughs> well, you know, you did you did uh, publish a book uh, with a picture of a phantasm beer in it. So, you know, how could I resist? <laughs> but yeah, so I, could, I'm, I can now gladly um, agree with you that Doseki is very, very easy to drink. So I've, I've warned you about this before. Uh, guests on the show i ask every one of them a completely random question from killian h gore's phantasm unauthorized quiz book um although i had to be quite careful with your one because i know that you actually submitted some of the questions to this <laughs> <laughs> killian's wonderful uh, but I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm about to probably lose all of my phantasm fan cred <laughs> oh i don't think you are i've um we'll see i don't think this is one of yours uh but here we go. Uh, and it relates to Jebediah Morningside. So, you know, it's, it's, it's close to your heart. It's uh, when Mike goes through the dimensional forks, he appears in a room 
in the past through a more primitive model of gateway. What is framed on the wall above the large chest of drawers in the room? Is it A, a flower collection, B, a butterfly collection, C, an insect collection, or D, a skull collection? It was a butterfly collection, wasn't it? It was. There you go. Wonderful. Fan cred intact. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I always, yeah, it stuck in my mind because it always gave me sort of Silence of the Lambs vibes. You know, that's a part of the movie that I think that fans, upon revisiting it, you just have to pause it and just scan the room of Jebediah's office yeah, for clues no. as to yes. what he's doing and how yeah. he's figuring out what he's figuring out. And the truth is that the production designer uh, Nathan Vane on Phantasm Oblivion was just trying to get the coolest props he could yeah. <laughs> um, to, to fill that room. But, you know, as a fan, you want it to all connect and make sense. And it's, it's a, it's a great set. That's, I think that's the best sometimes. Cause I think we've uh, like Kristen said that, that Don's described Phantasm as an interpretive vehicle. And I think that Mary Wilde and I kind of considered it as a sort of Rorschach blot. And I think that the weirder it is, the more our brains work to fill in those gaps. So um, true. And, you know, and I don't know if you've listened to um, an episode I recorded with Zowie Swan, but we talked a lot about the character of the lady in Lavender and kind of subconscious associations with things. And, and, and we were talking about the fact that that character, I believe, kind of originated sort of from Cat Lester wearing that Lavender dress to her audition and then Don thinking, actually, I might do something different with this character. But then we were saying, well, she had she presumably she'd read some kind of script and why did she subconsciously choose that? So, yeah, it's just the idea that maybe there are no coincidences. And yeah, there's something in the subconscious of that set designer or, you know, those producers that choose to put certain things there and then our minds fill in the gaps. I mean, that's yeah, that's what Phantasm is all about, isn't it? I think so. That was well said. I did catch that episode. Was that the first episode you did? That was a that was a good one. Oh, Mary Wilde was the first one. Yeah, I that's think. true. No, but there there were a lot of shows that talked about Phantasm in a kind of very sort of cursory way. Really enjoyable, but you know, and then they would kind of end by saying, "Oh, and there were some sequels." I thought, "Well, I need to kind of um, set the tone <laughs> for what I want to achieve with Morningside FM, which is just kind of needlessly in depth." <laughs> uh, meanderous musings so that yeah definitely get mary wild on and and talk freudian analysis and and dream logic so uh just so everybody knows what they're in store for <laughs> i'm there for it excellent um so you mentioned before that you've just put out a new book that's reign of chucky right yeah it's my my seventh book is reign of chucky the true hollywood story of a not so good guy that just dropped <laughs> a couple of weeks ago uh, on Amazon. And um, I didn't, when I wrote Phantasmic Zoomed, it wasn't my goal to become a career author, but it just kind of happened that way. And um, it's going well and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So now I'm on to, I've moved on from the tall man to Michael Myers and Freddie and Jason and now Chucky. Now, now that you know you're on the small man. Yeah, that's true. I like that. <laughs> There's a Child's Play series out now, isn't there? There is. There's a show um, that season two is uh, also just premiered on in the U.S. I think in the U.K. it might be a little delayed. Right. I'm 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 woefully behind. Yeah. I've only ever seen Child's Play. I haven't seen any of the sequels. They're weird. Yeah, <laughs> I got that impression. <laughs> Am I right in thinking that uh, Ed Gale, uh, who was famously in Phantasm Two, was Chucky? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He doubled um, Chucky in several of the movies. 
And you know, it's so funny. And Chucky had a little bit of a, a comic series in the 90s through Marvel Comics, I think. And one of the first covers for it was Chucky surrounded by all of these relics from other horror characters that he had supposedly killed. Yeah. You had Freddy's glove, you had Jason's mask. And of course there was a silver sphere beside him suggesting that maybe he'd taken out the tall man, but I'd have a hard time seeing that go down. I, no, yeah, that's not gonna happen. But you know, maybe he took out a sphere. I'll, I'll give him that. Duffel. <laughs> well, maybe he posed as a, as a dwarf and and took one of the spheres i'll buy that yeah okay <laughs> that's good but yeah so there's a, there's a phantasm connection which is funny because talking of phantasm spheres you also did uh slash of the titans which is a freddy versus jason book yes uh, and of course there was the, the famous scripted but unfilmed scene in an early draft of freddy versus jason where they were pursued by a phantasm sphere yeah, that's, I, th I think, isn't that the one where they wind up in the bowels of hell? The hell, and yeah. A sphere goes whizzing through past them? That would have that's been the terrific. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, your other books uh, were the Halloween books. I'm not sure. Yes. Off the top of my head, I can't think of a Phantasm Halloween connection, but I'm sure there, I'm sure there is one. Well, you know, uh, the one that comes to mind first for me is Kristen Deem. After Kristen worked on Phantasm Oblivion, they immediately called her to go script supervise Halloween H2O. And how, do, she... how do I not know this? <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, well, she was, um, uh, she was, I think a little, not burnt out, but tired. Yeah, yeah. Tired, because Phantasm Oblivion was really a hard experience. And so she turned them down. Yeah. And what's so funny is the other Halloween connection is that on Halloween H2O, the cinematographer for Halloween H2O was Darren Okada who was cinematographer on Phantasm 2 and also crewed on the original film. So oh, there's, wow. uh, there you go. there's some various connections. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm a fan of H2O, actually. It's probably my favorite of the sequels. In, in, Me too. In, yeah. Oh, great. In a sort of, in a Laurie Strode way. You know, it's her movie. I still chide Kristen for not having done H2O because then she would have worked on two of my favorite sequels of all time. And I... Yeah. I would have had to have married her. <laughs> that maybe that's the real reason she swerved it. She thought there's no way. <laughs> um, so I have to ask, even though we're on a phantasm podcast, um, what are your thoughts on Halloween ends? So uh, personally, as, as someone who did not appreciate Halloween kills, mm. I really enjoyed Halloween ends. Yeah. I think, However, I, I, I can completely see why people didn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really a fan of. I mean, I like the, the the original's great, and I like, you know, I'll always go to the cinema to watch a Halloween film in October because it it's a horror film, it's fun. But I don't, you know, I don't love them like I love Phantasm, so I'm not really emotionally invested. And I went to see Halloween Ends, you know, with my expectations very low, uh, and they did something completely different, and I really respected that. I thought I enjoyed that. It was not what I expected. And like you say, I think a lot of fans will expect something very specific from a Halloween movie and they don't really get it in this. So I can see why people won't enjoy it or will unfairly slag it off. But And I'm uh, sorry to invoke it. Phantasm Ravager once again, <laughs> but I think that um, with Phantasm Ravager and with Halloween Ends, I think a lot of people disliked those movies, not for what they were, but for what they weren't. Yes. You know, people yeah. had some very preconceived notions of what those final entries were supposed yeah. to be. And I'm sure lots of people disliked them for what it was, but yeah. it was the disappointment. Very much so. And I think also, um, you know, very uh, overtly in the case of Halloween ends, people don't like things ending. 
you know and i think there's always a like game of thrones you know people hated the ending of that series and it probably could have been better but i think that what they people, did i think what people really loved about game of thrones was watching it every week and the the anticipation and the excitement and then it had to end at some point they had to wrap it in <laughs> but I, we always said it was more like a soap opera than a than a traditional fantasy and the, the you know the appeal of a soap opera soap opera is all you know different families and different people and their relationships and how it plays out week after week and to kind of wrap that up people don't necessarily like it and i think there's even though i always thought of oblivion as the perfect ending to the phantasm series it was very much an open ending and when they were asked about a sequel i remember for years you know angus would always say tell them i haven't hung up the old balls yet <laughs> you know reggie would say you never know you never yes. know but of course you know with with angus's passing it was very much like this is the only i mean they may make something in the future but we you know this is the only true phantasm sequel we will ever get now and i think people wanted the world from it you know and i i can understand that i'm biting my tongue because i could i'm i'm i have so many ravager thoughts <laughs> bursting in my brain right now save them save them because we will we will go full f four barrels on ravager <laughs> um so where's the best place for people to buy your books is it directly through amazon or do you have a website yourself where they can buy them directly so I do have a website where it, it details my books. That's mm -hmm. harkerpress.com. Harker Press is my own publishing imprint. I have to ask, is that All named... of my books are available on... Sorry, I have is... to ask, is that named after Jonathan Harker? Absolutely. Excellent. <laughs> but my logo is a stake, just to kind of cement the connection a little course, further. Of course, of course, yeah. But uh, on Amazon or amazon.com, Amazon.co.uk. Uh, my books are available paperback and an audiobook and ebook. So, however you like to enjoy your uh, horror movie retrospective literature, I try and. Yeah, I have resumed as both uh, physical books and audiobooks, actually. I was very surprised that you had a, an English narrator. It, kind of, it threw me. <laughs> well, we got to make it sound classy. <laughs> Yeah, just I'll keep pretending that uh, it's it's always reassuring to know you sound classy to somebody who uh, who doesn't know you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And so, what's next? I know you've literally just put out uh, <laughs> a book about Chucky, but um, is there is there another book in the pipeline? There's always another book in the pipeline, oh, yeah. but you know the way I like to work uh, is to. I don't, I think talk is cheap. And so yes. I tend not to announce a project until it's finished because nothing, nothing irks me more than when people do teaser announcements and teaser yeah. previews and they talk it up and talk it up. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, do, yeah. The, do the work. Do the work. Then, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much the same. I kind of kept this podcast secret from most of my friends and family because I didn't want it to be talk. And it wasn't until I'd recorded about four episodes and it was all, and the logo was done. It was all ready to go. I said, oh, by the way, this is what I've been working on the last two months. <laughs> I love that you're doing it. I, I think the you know, Phantasm fandom needs some fresh energy and new projects like this. I've been hoping someone would come along and make a new website or something. And, and this definitely fills the void that I've been noticing. So I'm grateful for your efforts because it's, it's fun to kind of re-energize and reminisce and remember and yeah. hear other people's thoughts and opinions. I think it's great. Yeah, I've I've loved every single conversation I've had. It's been fantastic, and yeah, to know that you're enjoying it too—that's that's what it's all about. And I, you know, I come from—I'm uh, in a punk band, and I'm very much from this sort of DIY punk background of literally just do it, do it yourself, you know. And 
as I say, this podcast kind of started from, I'd got into podcasting with a book podcast, but as a big horror fan, someone who listens to a lot of horror podcasts, I'd heard so many episodes about Phantasm that I kept waiting for the Phantasm podcast. And I thought, well, I can't find one. So I'm just going to make my own. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's, it's just been so fantastic to connect with people and, uh, and to hear their enthusiasm for it. It's, uh, it's wonderful. And also I, I now have a vehicle just in case anybody dares to remake Phantasm. I'll be here poised to, uh, to tear it apart. Mm. <laughs> unless, unless, unless it's great, you know, credit where credit's due. I'll phrase it if needs be. But I think it will be sort of me, you, Kristen, Kevin Lyons, and lots of other angry fans uh, ready to tear it to shreds. <laughs> well, you know, there was, a, there was a remake script uh, years ago by the Steve new- Romano that was so terrific because it it wasn't it was a secret sequel it, it you yes. didn't realize it was a sequel until like half an hour or more into it um it was great what an idea i think um he was quite ahead of his time in that way because that you know when would that have been kind of like mid 2000s yeah it was for new line cinema wasn't it yeah and it, i don't mean it was like a, a kind of a requel kind of like some yeah. of these new films well, are they, it was definitely a remake that then blurred over into a well, sequel that, yeah so i neat. guess i guess you'd call that kind of thing a soft reboot now uh which didn't you know it, the 2000s it was such a terrible decade for what well, almost everything was remade wasn't it texas was remade the omen was remade um nightmare on elm street friday the 13th these really poor sort of michael bay cheap imitations of classic films and so i love the idea that with phantasm it was going to be yeah yeah we'll we'll retell the story but bring in this multiverse presumably element and that that's the great thing with phantasm with those dimensional forks anything could be on the other side of them you know that anything is possible really uh and we we talked about how how they oh they couldn't possibly do a sequel without angus which i i firmly believe and the idea of kind of recasting that role you know for my money is unthinkable and the idea of kind of digitally resurrecting the character like they did with uh, Peter Cushing in Star Wars that kind of seems a bit disrespectful uh and yet it only occurred to me when I was talking to Kristen about it that well Angus has this female alter ego so could they make a sixth phantasm film in which the lady in lavender is is the antagonist and and the tall man's presence is implied but not seen it probably wouldn't work, but I'm, I'd be intrigued nonetheless. But I can't imagine any studio would go for that. No studio would go for it. But, you know, they do. And I'm not saying they should do that, but they do have additional material of Angus that if they wanted to somehow repurpose, it could be done. Now, is that enough to constitute his role in, in, a, in a new story or a new film? I, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, they have a lot of scraps, a lot. It gets a bit um, like Ed Wood with that that footage of, of Bella Lugosi that was it does. put into um, Plan Nine. <laughs> it does, uh, and yeah, I have a morbid curiosity. You know what? What is it? What's what's in the archives? What could be done? But then also, in in defense of Angus's legacy, I think that should never be attempted ever. No, I I completely agree. Yeah, I think seeing anything that he recorded would be wonderful in you know especially that table read but to try and repurpose it especially like you say that i think it would have been important for him to know the even though this wasn't necessarily the case in ravager but to know the context of what he was filming and to know how it would be used and it would seem weirdly disrespectful to kind of 
build something around it that he never knew about during his lifetime but yeah hopefully they'll they'll leave it alone but i would be i'd be interested to see more comics uh be interested to read more more novels because you know that all the characters are, are immortal that way for sure yeah absolutely um but uh yeah so you mentioned also the the phantasm archives website uh and there's a phantasm exhumed phantasm exhumed books uh facebook group yes the the phantasm archives website is at phantasmarchives.net and that's been up for like what 15 years there's a lot in the archives hundreds and hundreds of posts um if you want to go back and and get lost in some phantasm highly recommend it check out the website and join the facebook group is it the phantasm fans unite Oh yes, there, there's a lot. Gosh, there's so, I forget. <laughs> there's there's lot, so much. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dustin, thank you so much for giving me your time. I know you're incredibly busy, and I'm so glad that I managed to just catch you in between books. Thank it's... you, Chris. I've had fun uh, talking about all this. Thank, oh, thanks again too. for having it's me. It's been on. a pleasure, and I can't wait for our, our Ravager conversation. For sure. I'll see you soon. All right, pal. Later. Thanks once again to tonight's guest, Dustin McNeil, author of Phantasm Exhumed. If you haven't read the book, uh, you really must go out and grab a copy immediately. There are more than 60 interviews with the cast, crew and effects creators uh, of the Phantasm movies. Uh, over 250 rare photographs from uh, behind the scenes and, and the making of the films and of the cast and crew. Uh, and much much more excerpts from uh, Angus Scrim's journals and letters and memos and production artifacts it is truly a remarkable book as is the sequel further exhumed uh, and I'm, I know I know I'm harping on about this now but uh, seriously if you weren't a fan of Ravager but you are a fan of Phantasm please do read further exhumed um, I really believe it will give you uh, a newfound appreciation for the fifth film in the franchise well that's it for this episode and uh, it's october so have a wonderful halloween